0: As soon as I get to Q. Alright, here we go. Alright guys, if you have your Bibles tonight, open up back up to the um, book of First John, way back toward the end of your Bible there. First John chapter 2. Um, today we're going to be reading verses 28 through chapter 3 and verse 10. And I'm actually going to go ahead and read that now and then we'll ask God's blessing upon it in our time together. Again, First John chapter 2 starting in verse 28, reading through verse 10 of chapter 3. And it says this, and now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ, so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they, because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all, who, for all sin is contrary to the go, law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right... It shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. And so now we can tell who are children of God, and who are children, and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again just for this time we have together, Lord God, this time that we can be here um, as your people to be um, together to worship you, to praise you, and even now to be in your word. God, thank you for this book that we hold in our hands, your holy word that instructs us, that teaches us, that at times convicts us, Lord God, and, and, and many times God encourages us. God, I pray that whatever we need tonight, Father, that you would do it. God, you know each and every one of us. You know where we're at in our lives. You know the struggles that we're dealing with. And so, God, I pray that you would meet each and every one of us, God, right where we're at, Lord, and just um, just remove distractions from our hearts and from our minds, Lord, God, that we can give you our soul focus for this time. I pray, God, that you would speak. Lord God, I I don't want people to hear the man that's up here at the pulpit, Father. I want them to hear you, so God, speak through me to your people tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty, precious name, we pray these things. Amen. So tonight, we're going to continue in our study of the book of 1 John, where we have been talking um, about walking in the light and the love of God. As I've stated um, in our journey through this book, this idea of walking in the light and love of God is really kind of like a two-sided coin. Um, it's certainly, one aspect of it certainly is, is what we get to personally experience out of walking in the light of God. Now, again, what does it mean to walk in the light of God? It means to walk in intimate fellowship with Him. It, it means that, I have a real weird thing going on up here. All right. Anyways, it means to walk in, in intimate fellowship with, it, with him. It's, it's the idea that, that we as God's people are unhindered in our relationship with him when it comes to sin, when it comes to anything like that. It's the idea that we're walking hand in hand with him through all the struggles and the, and the joys and the victories of life. That's the idea of what it means to walk in the light of God. And as we walk in the light of God, we get to experience the love of God and everything that comes with it. But that's only one side of the coin. It's not just about what we get to personally experience. It's because of what we get to experience, we then get to, we get to be kind of a, a conduit of grace, if you will, to the people around us. Because this relationship is right, we then can love the people around us with the love of God. So because we've experienced His grace and kindness, we can show those same things to people around us. Because we've experienced His patience, His mercy, we can show those same things to others. Because we've experienced Him His shaping us and molding us into who, in who He wants us to be, we then can experience that, uh, help other people experience that through us as we come alongside of them and meet them where they're at and, and use what God has taught us to help other people. So walking in the light and the love of God is about what we get to experience, but as we do that, it's what the people around us get to experience because of what we are personally experiencing with Him. Now, is that going to be easy to walk in the light and the, the, the love of God? No. Um, as we've seen over the last couple weeks especially, um, we have this thing called our sinful nature where Satan and, and all of his forces, um, they set snares, they set traps to... Entice what John describes as the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life And so he sets all these snares up for for us to trip And even we saw last week he has his people everywhere these antichrists that are coming trying to to deceive and draw God's people Away, and so it's not easy Being a christian. It's not easy trying to remain in fellowship with the lord as we're called to as christians and yet it's still our responsibility because of what, we talk, what we're going to be talking about here today. We are children of Almighty God. And whether it's easy or not, we have a responsibility to be faithful to God. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today. Now, as we think about this idea of us being children of God, think for a moment of your last name. Now, when it comes to my last name, um, I have an expectation for my kids to live up to it, right? And so there's this idea that the way they live represents more than just them. It represents the family that they're attached to, right? And so that's kind of the idea here, is we are children of the King. We are children of Almighty God, and we represent something far greater than ourselves. We represent Almighty God Himself. We represent Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We represent His church. We represent one another. And so it is so important, so vital, that we live like the children of God that we're called to live like. And one thing I can say is that it's simply the proper thing for us to do. Because of who we are, the most proper way that we can live is to live like Jesus. Jesus. And the greatest motivation for that is another reminder that John gives us here in verse 1 of chapter 3, where he just makes this simple and yet profound statement. See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that's what we are. Is there any greater statement than that? That we have... We're not just outcasts. Yeah, he forgave us, but he's he just going to leave us here. And No, he made us his children. It's not just that he forgave us. It's, it's not just that he removed his wrath from us. He made us children. Heavenly royalty. It's an incredible thought as you, as you think about that. Again, if I've said it once, I've said it a, a hundred times, the greatest motivation for our lives as Christians is remembering what we've received in the Lord. You know, if we try to live like a child of God because we're supposed to, because it's the right thing to do, it's not going to go very far. But, but if we will allow the depth of a statement like that to, to pierce our hearts and our minds and, and remind, us, remind ourselves every single day the, 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 the depth of love that God has shown us in Christ, I can tell you that that will be the greatest motivation in your life to continue to live for Jesus. See, before Christ, as the Bible tells us, we were lost, we were blind, we were in constant opposition to God, we were by nature enemies of God, by nature we, the wrath of God was, was upon us. C- can you imagine if God had left us there? What could we have done about it? The Bible says absolutely nothing. We were absolutely without hope. And yet God stepped in. Sent Jesus. He comes and He goes to a cross, dies, and opens the door by rising again to make salvation possible for you. He, he didn't leave us without hope. He came. He died for us. Why were we yet sinners? We wrote back there, read back there Romans chapter 5. And through what He has done for those of us that have received Christ, Romans 5.1, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through Christ. John 1.12, those of us that have received that gift, we've been made children of God. And it's not just a hope for today, it's a hope for tomorrow, it's a hope for the next day, it's a hope all the way into eternity because of verses like Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 7 that says, God is so rich in mercy, He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead, and it's by grace that we have been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. And He says this in verse 7, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us as shown in all of us because of what we have, He's done through us, because we've been united with Christ. Even in Romans eight seventeen, it says we're heirs together with Christ, even heirs of His glory. That is incredible truth. See how very much the Father loves us. He, he didn't stop at forgiving us. He added all of that simply because he loves us. In spite of the fact that we sin every day, in spite of the fact that we mess up all the time, in spite of the fact that none of us have earned it, that's still what we get. That is what we are as God's people. We are his children. As First 1 John 1.10 says, that is real love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son for us. And so as we think about all that, the only proper response that we can do or should do is to love Him back. But it has to go beyond just some inward appreciation, although that's great. We should appreciate Him. We should praise Him for the things that He has done. But that that inward praise needs to translate into outward application in our lives. For instance, verse 4 of chapter 3 says, Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. Remember what John said back in chapter 2 and verse 5. He says, Those who obey God's word truly show... Again, truly show how completely they love Him. And so John's been telling us in this book that our love and appreciation for what God has done in our lives is shown, is seen in our lives, is displayed, is demonstrated by our adherence as His people to His commands and principles found in His Word. That's what we're called to do as His people. It's the most proper response that we can give is to obey Him and to walk in obedience and, and take the command seriously that He has given us. What does that look like? Look at verse 29 of chapter 2. He says, Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. That, that's the call. Think about this. Our call as Christians is to model our namesake, who is Christ. That's our job as God's people. Now, the question then is, is what's the example that Jesus left for us? Consider Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Jesus, our high priest, understands all of our weaknesses. He faced all the same temptations we do, and yet he did not sin. Remember we talked about way back there in in chapter 2? My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. That's the goal of our lives. As children of God, that should be the highest goal of our life, to live a life as pure as possible. As verse 3 tells us here in chapter 3, because He is pure, we should try to be, strive to be pure as well. As verse 7 says, when people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous righteous friends that is the proper response to the reality of who we are as children of God as children of the king friends we need to act like royalty we need to live like it have you ever seen like some of those uh well, I can't remember the name of the, the shows but the idea is is these people becoming royals and, and just all the things they have to do and the way they have to act and the way they have to posture themselves and sit and speak and all the etiquette and all those different things, it, it's because they're royalty and they need to live like it and they need to act like it. How much more are we as heavenly royalty, should we live like it and act like it because we don't represent some earthly crown. We represent the, the crown of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So that's one important aspect of living as children of God, and, and another one we're gonna see here is living like children of God actually proves that we belong to Him. Consider the second part of verse one of chapter three here three here again. He says, The people of this world don't recognize that we are God's children. Because they don't know him. Now, that, there's, there's truth in that, right? I and mean, The verse almost seems out of place in, in, in some ways, but, but there's such truth in that. It, it's only people that know God that understand what being a child of God is all about. As that verse said, the, the, um, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. People that are outside of the light, outside of that relationship with the Lord, they just can't grasp it. They can't understand it. I think it's at First Peter where Peter says that these people don't understand when you don't take part in the same things you used to do. That They just don't get it. They don't comprehend it. And there's a lot of truth in that. But just because people don't understand and recognize who we're connected to and why, can I tell you something? They should see a difference in us. There should be something so strikingly different about us as Christians that people look at us and go, why are you so different than me? Like that verse when it says, when people ask you about the hope that is in you, it says, oh, we'd be ready to give a defense. That only happens when we're living the way we're supposed to be living as God's people. Now, the implication that John gives here in his writing is this question, is that as God's children we have a responsibility to represent Him well, if in fact we actually belong to Him. And he really gives a question here. He makes statements, but it's a question we should ask ourselves. By the way we are living, are we really gods? Again, I'm to read verses 10, 7 through 10 again. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them, and so they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. And so now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Remember who John is writing to. He's, he's sending these letters to the church. He, he's not sending these letters to the local cafe. He sent these letters to churches, and and him writing this letter to churches gives the implication that there were people who claimed to be Christian, professed to be Christian, but weren't. Their, Their lifestyle didn't match what they claimed to be. This tells me that there are people in churches, probably still today, all over the world who claim to be something they are not. People who claim to be children of God and on their way to heaven, but in fact, they are children of the devil on their way to hell. That's the implication of what the Apostle John gives here in this letter. So the question we have to ask ourselves then is, how do we tell the difference between those who are real and those who are not? And maybe a better question is, is how can we have some assurance that the profession of faith that we made was real. Because I can tell you that one of the verses that I can never get out of my head is in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus himself says, in the day of judgment, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did miracles in your name. We did all these things in your name. And he's going to say what? Away from me for I never knew you. Boy, that's a, that's a verse that every Christian should think deeply about. Now, some may say, well, I thought that salvation is not based on how good we are, so what does not sinning have to do with our salvation? Because we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. Right? Correct? Correct? But what John's saying here is really the exact same thing that his brother James said decades before this in James chapter 2. Listen to what his brother James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20 says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you... How can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. And he says, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is dead or useless? The idea is this, is if, is if our lives don't produce Good deeds, or the fruit of repentance, as scripture says, in other places, then we ought to question whether or not we're actually children of God. Now, becoming a Christian is simple, but can I tell you something? It's more than just some magic words. The modern church has almost simplified this too much. Say this prayer and you're good to go. Walk the aisle, you're good to go. Maybe it is not in the magic words you speak. It's it's what happens here. See, the Bible tells us that it's not just words. It's repentance. It's all this one thing. I mean, if you think about how somebody comes to faith in Jesus, yes, it's a good confession of faith. To Jesus as not just Savior, but Lord. And so when we come to faith in Christ, yes, it's recognized that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. So Jesus, I want you to save me, but it's also a commitment on our part to say, I choose now to follow you. I can't keep going down this other life of sin. I can't keep being the same person that I used to be. My life now has to go in a completely different trajectory. I'm following you. Friends, that's what it means to be a Christian. People make a confession of faith and then look nothing like Christ. I'm not the judge, but John says here that unless there's fruit, unless there's deeds that follow, unless people choose to walk in holiness and righteousness, whatever commitment they made probably wasn't real. He says here the proof that that actually happened will be evidenced by the way that we live. Now a question that you've probably heard before is this this question, it's kind of a hypothetical thing, but it it says if you were arrested because you were a Christian, would there be enough proof to convict you? You know, that that kind of old question, that old statement, or would you be exonerated? Verse 5 and 6 tells us again, you know that Jesus came to take away sins, there is no sin in him, and anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand. The idea here is not, it's not a person who is struggling with sin, who is convicted by sin, who is trying to overcome sin. They know it's wrong. They're just like, man, God, I need your help with this. I'm just That's not what this is talking about. This is the idea of habitual sin where the person is not convicted, nor do they care, and they have no desire whatsoever to change. I'm a Christian, but I'm going to live like the world, and they don't care. That would be evidence that that person probably isn't a Christian at all, is the idea here. Verse 9 tells us that those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. The point is this, is that the Spirit of God is actually in a person. He's not going to allow us to continually walk in sin. He will discipline us. As Philippians 1.6 says, I am certain of this, that God who began this good work in you will complete it. And it's this idea of uh, a Christian, we may have ups and downs, but if the Spirit of God is truly if God's life is truly in us, we can't live like a child of Satan. It's impossible. The evidence of true salvation is people choosing to live as much as they can Like the Lord. As Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34, Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame I say that some of you don't know God at all. Again, he was writing to the church. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, he tells them this, Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Can't you see um, for yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you actually fail the test? He says here, See, in verse 5, he tells us here that Jesus came to take away our sins. Certainly, it's a reference to the reality of our salvation, that he he, he wiped us clean, we're washed clean of those sins. But really, in context here, I believe it's a reference to the fact that if we truly belong to Jesus, the power of sin we have been set free from. That that bondage, those chains that, that we used to have before Christ have been loosened. He he has set us free. He took away that in our lives. As Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 tells us, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit. of You have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who who don't have the Spirit of Christ living in them don't belong to Him at all. So it's verse 6. Anyone who continues to live in Him, it says, will not sin. That's the proof. Are we living like it? Now, one thing I think, just an aside note really for me, is so important as God's children, is that we actually have confidence that when we meet Him, He's going to say, welcome home and not away from me. You know, that's a real struggle, I think, for, for many Christians. Could we hear passages like this and we do like this gut check like, man, am I really saved or not? I mean, I, I got sin in my life. I, I am not here to make you question your salvation. That, that's not the point of this message. I don't think the point necessarily of what he's talking about here because it, John will say later on in First John chapter 5 and verse 13, listen to what he says here, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Our Lord wants us to have confidence in our salvation because I believe this from the bottom of my heart that a person who truly knows Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, who truly is a child of God, once you're there, you're there forever. It's not something that gets taken away because we mess up. But the, the point he is making in here is that if we truly have come to faith in Christ, something on the inside of us should have changed. And there should be this upward trajectory in our life. Sure, it may have hills and valleys, but there should be an upward trajectory in our life as we look back on it. And if we're not looking more like Christ today than we did 10 years ago, you better do a gut check. See, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have come new. Galatians 2, 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. That's the evidence of a true believer. Sure, everybody's at different places on that upward trajectory, but friends, we better have an upward trajectory, or we better question whether or not our salvation was sincere. Now, on a lighter note, as we close this out, as we think about living as children of God, one final point I want to make is a great reason we should do it is because it prepares us for the day we're going to meet Him. Look at verse 28. Now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when He returns... You will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. One of the, some of the greatest news the Bible gives us is there's going to be a day when Jesus is coming back. He splits open those heavens and when we see our Savior for the first time face to face. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be doing something dumb when that happens. You ever thought about that? I would rather—I'd rather be here, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be cool if Jesus came back during the middle of a worship service, or when we were sharing our sharing the gospel with somebody, or we were helping somebody alongside of the road, or we're in a Bible study encouraging one of our brothers? Just, wouldn't that be cool? But how awful would it be? for those heavens to split open when we're in the middle of something dumb and go, oh. He is coming back and we need to live like it every day. We don't know when that day is coming, but we need to be ready for it all the time. See, verse, as verse 3 tells us, the person who is living their life in purity, we, we can actually await that day with expectation. We can await that day with with. Courage. Why? Because we're giving our all. When we're giving our all, when we're giving our best, when we're when we're doing our best to live for the Lord, when we see him, we won't have to hang our head in shame. As Second Timothy four, seven and eight, I think this should be the desire and the goal for all of us. He says here, I fought the good fight, finished the race. I've remained faithful, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on, that, on the day of his return, and the prize is not just for me, but all who are eagerly looking forward to his appearing. Are you looking forward to his appearing? See, the, the person that's living like a child of God, that's walking in righteousness, that's a person that can live with expectation. Expectation. Let's be that person. And if just seeing him is not incentive enough, let's at the end we close this out, let's, let's consider verse two just for a moment here. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He really is. What a cool thought. That, that day when we finally come to the finish line, where victory is finally ours, where we, we leave this mortal, corrupted Earth and get new bodies, we're going to be with him for what, What's that going to be like? A couple of passages of scripture 1 Corinthians 15 43 and 44 says this our bodies are buried in brokenness but they will be raised in glory buried in weakness but they will be raised in strength buried as natural human bodies but they will be raised as spiritual bodies for just as there are natural bodies there are also spiritual bodies that's what we're going to be and then in verses 15 through 57 it says this let me reveal to you a wonderful secret We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It'll happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when that trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. Our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies transformed into immortal bodies. And then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For for, For the sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power, but thanks be to God, He gives us victory over sin and death through the Lord Jesus Christ, friends. That's what we're going to get to experience someday. Let's start living for it now. Let let's let's not just live life for today. Let's not just live life for the things of this world. Let's live as the children of the king that we are. That way when he comes back, we're going to be ready and waiting and say, I'm ready for my reward, Lord. And in that day, we're going to lose all the pain, all the suffering, all the annoying things we have to deal with in this world. And we're going to be with our king, with our father in heaven forever and ever, experiencing the fullness of the joy that we have to look forward to as children of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day, for this time, for your word. Thank you again, God, for the encouragement, the, uh, the, the conviction that comes with it. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I know that this is something that I've dealt with um, in my past, Lord. I remember a time, God, Lord, where I talked to you many times and just struggled through this. Am I saved? Am I not saved? And God, I can still remember that moment when you gave me that confidence and that assurance. And Father, God, I just pray that each person in here would come to that same point. That each person in here that is truly a born-again Christian, that has your life living in them through your Spirit, Father, that they would have the confidence that you want them to have. Yes, confidence because of the promises of your Word, but confidence because of the way that they're living. Lord, let us all live for you. Let us all in our lives show the evidence of your work in us as your people. And God, I just pray that if anybody in this place, anybody listening to this, Father, has never made the decision to follow Christ as Savior, let them make that decision today. To choose Him as Savior, to choose Him as their Lord, their Master, and their King. To make a decision to leave their old life behind and to follow You, Lord, forever. We love You, we praise You, we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, as we close.